Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. It's a Monday edition of PFTPM. Mike and Mike. Mike along with Mike in the afternoon. Mike Golick. Mike Florio here with you. Mike, how's it going, pal? Good to see you again. Going well, Mike, going well. And I guess as we continue to find out, there's always not just the standard news in the NFL of the Combine, but, oh, boy, here we go. And when I say, oh, boy, here we go, I'm not talking about Aaron Rodgers. You never know where that next curveball is going to come from. It's one of the fascinating things about covering the National Football League. And I have been accurately accused of promoting my book, Playmakers, which comes out in eight days. But it's relevant here because the final section of the book was focused on a series of essays aimed at identifying the problems the NFL faces moving forward. And one of the biggest challenges is gambling, how to deal with it, how to coexist with it, how to make sure your players don't do it, how to safeguard inside information, how to make sure your officials are uncorrupted by anything related to this multi-billion dollar industry that is constantly present. And now we have our first tangible sanction, Calvin Ridley, suspended for an entire year, minimum, minimum, can apply for reinstatement after a year, no guarantees getting back in because of some gambling that he did on his cell phone device while on the non-football illness list in Florida back in November. He was busted, he admitted it, and the sanction is a year. Now, philosophically, there's hypocrisy baked into this thing because of what the NFL is making off of gambling, Mike, but regardless of those angles, that is a hell of a punishment. That is a hell of a punishment for a first offense where there was no indication of any kind of activity that would corrupt the league that would undermine the outcome of games. It's just a guy doing what millions of people do. They pick up their phone and they put bets on whatever app they've happened to download. It's a guy that walks into a locker room every day. That is, I walked into a locker room every day as players before me and after me and will continue to lock into, walk into a locker room every day where it hits you in the face, the signs that talk about no gambling. Listen, and I'm sure I'm going to get crushed for this, the old man on the porch. I don't even mean it this way. But you know it's wrong. You know it can be the dumbest rule known to mankind. And if you think it that's, it's that dumb, call your union rep and the next CBA, fight it. Say, you know what? Uh, NFL, you're making billions on gambling. We should be able to gamble. I'm all for trying to change that. I'm all for, listen, he's going to appeal, and maybe he'll get the sentence reduced. But you know, every single player knows you cannot gamble. And he did. And I don't care if it was $1,500. You know, and, and I know they said the investigation said no insider information. This is like insider trading. Think of it that way, Mike, right? When, when insider trading and how, how vicious that's treated in that world, the, the league is protecting its shield. And this is one of the biggest things to them, even though they're in bed with gamblers. And it sounds horrible. I understand it. And maybe the rule will change. Listen, we already laughed at the fact years ago, Tony Romo couldn't do a fantasy draft in Vegas because the league wasn't into gambling then. Now that seems laughable. Maybe this will down the road. I don't know. 
I don't think it will. I don't think they ever want their players gambling and want them gambling at all because of whether it's on your team or these are what five and eight game parlays of him calling friends from another team. Hey, how's this injury? How all this insider information you could have that I know they say didn't happen here, but they have to come down hard on it. And I understand them coming down hard on it. Now, there's also the hypocrisy, Mike, of how much investigation is going to the allegations of Stephen Ross and offering Brian Flores 100000 to lose. If that turns out to be a he said, he said, and nothing comes of it, that may happen. But if Stephen, and I said this before, if Stephen Ross is found guilty of that, he should not own the Miami Dolphins anymore. He should, he should be voted out of being an owner. That's how harshly that should be treated. This is how harshly the league will deal with its players gambling. You can't do it. I know it was only 1500 bucks, but even Calvin said, I know it was wrong. Right there. Stop. You know it's wrong. Is it worth the 11 mil? You know you'll get nailed for that. It's the most... It's the biggest, one of the biggest no-nos there is in the NFL, which seems ridiculous with some of the things guys have been doing off the field, right? This seems ridiculous, but this goes to the integrity of the league and what they stand for on why they're going to come down so hard on this. And you're absolutely right. It is against the rules. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been sanctioned at all. The one-year suspension seems extreme to me, given that, He wasn't with the team at the time. He was on the non-football illness list, and he was dealing with what appeared to be some serious mental health issues based upon some of the things that we heard and saw, the statements that were made. So, And I'm not saying we should make an excuse for somebody who's in a difficult spot, but we need to acknowledge the bigger picture here. When the Supreme Court opened the floodgates back in 2018 to allow coast-to-coast, state-by-state legalization of sports wagering, with something that is literally as simple as finding the right app, downloading it, putting in your credit card information, and starting the wagering, it really does change the vibe. And the NFL used to be, as you pointed out, with the Romo situation from 2015, the NFL was staunchly opposed to anything related to gambling. And frankly, Mike, when they pivoted, I'm surprised the commissioner didn't resign. When you look at how strong his statements anti-gambling were before gambling became something that could be legalized on a state-by-state basis for, for sports wagering, you can't reconcile them. There's no middle ground. He went from absolutely hating it to, well, okay, well, okay, well, you know, it's, it's a new reality. We have to change. We have to pivot. And they've made millions, and they anticipate they'll make a billion per year by the end of the decade from their gambling partnerships there's just a hypocrisy there i made the point earlier on twitter it's sort of like the nfl having a sponsorship with a supplement maker whose product is perfectly legal but it's a banned substance it's a ped but it's perfectly legal and we're making 10 million a year pushing this on the american people but our players can't use it because it's a ped that's this this weird this weird duality that we're creating and we're just fine with it. We just accept it. It just seems odd to me. But Mike, and first off, if, if every leader was, should resign after changing, you know, midstream, we'd have a lot of people resigning. Oh, this is horrible for us. I'm not talking about politicians. We can make a lot of money. Oh, okay. No, let's do it. But I mean, this is Mike, this is different. I mean, the average, the, the regular person out there can gamble. Players have knowledge that those people don't. 
players can call. I'm not saying, and Calvin it was it said that, that he didn't, but I'm talking about this as a whole of what players and the knowledge that they possess 100%. 100%. or could possess. So I, 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 while I understand the league, and we knew it was going to happen, it's just like, the, the the college finally went to playoffs once they learned how to divide the money up. Why well, they're going to go to 12 teams once they learn how to divide the money up. It's all about money. And the NFL realized it can make a billion dollars or more doing this. But that doesn't mean your people can do it. I mean, there are plenty of companies that hold contests, and the company employees aren't eligible to win those contests, right? Because they can have more information. Players can have more information than the average person can to bet. So I understand why players can't gamble as, as, uh, as much hypocrisy as it seems is in this. I do understand that we have more information than the regular person has in gambling. Here's the key. If they're going to do this, and I got no problem with them doing it, the rules are the rules, and everyone knows, as you said, you walk in and you see all the signs, and presumably they are telling these guys what they can and can't do, and if not, shame on them. But if we're going to do this, I hope it's not just in situations where the case falls into their laps because someone was dumb enough to bet on his own phone in his own name. The information got made available to the NFL. It isn't all that hard to have a straw party who places your bets for you and you pay them the money under the table when they lose and they give you the money under the table when they win. If you're smart, you can do it. How aggressive is the NFL going to be when it comes to guys who aren't dumb enough to just pick up their phone and make a bet. I want to know, are they only going to make examples out of the ones that are easy to catch, or are they going to be truly serious about ferreting out this potential problem? I agree, because how many people out there think Calvin Ridley was the only one gambling on games that other people are doing it differently, and Calvin just got caught? because he, didn't, he wasn't very smart in how to do it. So that's a fair question, just like how much are they investigating? The, and I'll still go back to it, the Stephen Ross yes. and Brian Flores situation. I'll go to that uh, as didn't well. You hear, oh, but, didn't you hear but, Stephen Ross was joking? Stephen Ross was just joking. I don't know what the yeah, joke yeah. is, but that's what I, his all, defense is going to be. He was joking. In all honesty, I'm getting tired of a lot of these owners, in all honesty. <laughs> but what, one, of the, one of the big things I'm looking for right now, Mike, is that this penalty isn't going to go away. But will the severity of it? Because I think he should appeal. And will that change? Will it get knocked down to X amount of games? That's because if the NFL did the investigation and said, hey, there was no insider information. He was just, you know, uh, let's say it. Dumb enough to do this bet on his own, which he knew was wrong to do. If he was, And again, it wasn't just with the Falcons. It was other teams. If he wasn't calling other friends on other teams to find out information. If they have all the information, maybe they'll knock it down. But, you know, I don't know if they will, Mike, because this is, this is about the staunchest stance they're going to take is on the integrity of the game. But that, to me, is the next thing to see. How much will the union get involved? Because that's where you file your appeal is to your union. So how much will D. Smith and the union get involved in this to say, okay, he was wrong, but a year? You guys even investigated and said there was, it was just him making bets. There was no insider information. Let's cut this down a little bit. That's what I'm going to be interested to see. And also it goes beyond players who are wagering foolishly with their own phones, indirectly through family members, friends, whoever. It gets into the other aspects that gambling can create challenges for the NFL. And these are the things I tried to identify in the last section of Playmakers. It's not just making sure that your officials aren't 
Tim Donahue's and directly involved in trying to shave points or rig games, but that they're doing a good enough job that there's never a suggestion that anyone may possibly be corrupted. It's properly handling inside information from something as obvious as the injury reports, which we know are a joke. We know right, there's inside right, yeah. information to be had yeah. there. And the NFL never penalizes anyone. They used to. They never do it anymore because, Mike, they don't want to declare to the world we got corrupt right. teams that are right. breaking the rules. So that's part of it. If they're serious about this, that's something else they have to do. I had someone explain to me, what about a situation where there's a team that scripts its first 15 plays and the coach has listed the first 15 plays of the game on the whiteboard and somebody comes in to empty the trash can and there it is. How do you safeguard that that person isn't going to do something with that information, whether it's a prop bet for the running back that's going to get the ball seven times in the first 15 snaps or whatever else may be gleaned from just what happens to be lying around? What are they doing to safeguard this information that isn't publicly available? That's part of it, too. So, hey, that's fine. You're going to throw the book at Calvin Ridley over $1,500 in parlay bets? Fine. But you are, you are putting yourself in a position where you have a much greater obligation to deal with all these other areas in which true corruption can occur. So I'll, I'll say this, Mike, so I, I know we need to move on, is every company probably every company has a shovel in their hand, right? And it's how much do they want to dig? How, how, how much do they actually want to dig in certain situations? Sometimes they'll just nonchalantly move a little dirt, and sometimes they will pound that shovel into the dirt and try and dig a bigger hole as they possibly can. So it's, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. So this happened to fall somehow in their lap. But uh, what, what do they and, and really other companies, what do they go digging for if there are you know, abnormalities going on? Best example, 10 years ago this month, the Bounty Gate scandal. Because the moment we found out what the Saints were caught doing and we understood what it was and you had all of these accounts of other teams doing the same damn thing. And I said to the NFL, are you investigating these other teams, specifically the teams where Greg Williams had previously been and guys who had played for Greg Williams, the mastermind, the ringleader of the bounty scandal in New Orleans had done it elsewhere. Oh, no, no, we're not. We're not. We're not investigating that. They plugged that rabbit hole with cement quickly because they got the one team they wanted to make an example out of. And they wanted to be able to say, hey, we really care about player health and safety. Here's the one head that we're going to put on a, on a pike in front of the you know, city walls, and everybody else is getting a pass. Uh, and and that, that's what I don't want this to be. I don't want it to be once a year they find a guy who falls into their laps, who they suspend to show that they really care about the problem and are otherwise ignoring all the other problems that are hiding in plain sight that they don't think are a problem because once a year they find some – some you know poor bastard who accidentally or whatever bet on his phone and got caught and it was easy and it was clean so that it's it's really a much deeper issue and mike here's where it's going to lead i think eventually there's going to be an, an agency a federal agency that regulates professional sports just like the sec not the southeastern conference but the securities and exchange right, commission right. regulates corporate america whether it's inside information whatever other abuses are out there not that it's a perfect result but the NFL can't be trusted to police itself on this. It can't be. Eventually, there's going to be some third party that's in a position to make sure that these rules are properly followed and that the sport isn't corrupted by gambling, especially if it's going to make a billion a year off of gambling. So I, I guess that's going to be the question. What, what, what's incentive enough for a third party to do that? You know, what, what will make somebody want to, you know, be that dog watcher 
on what's going on. That, that I don't have the answer to. I, you know, I don't know how much someone will say, hey, I think there's some abnormalities going on with the most popular sport by far in the country that brings in $15 billion, and that number is only going to go up. People may, you know what? You may not have people that want to dig. I, I don't know, Mike. That's a that's a fair question. And going quickly back, I don't know what you're talking about on bounties. I have no idea why you would bring <laughs> bounties up. That doesn't happen, Mike. <laughs> Never, ever. And, 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 and look, but, you know, everything the NFL does has – a strong to incredibly strong element of PR and certain things get brushed under the rug. Like, like the Washington commanders situation, like yes. the Dallas Cowboys voyeurism scandal, which oh, 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 we're not investigating that. The Cowboys can be trusted to properly investigate that situation and meet out penalties. We don't need to do that, but they get that. Look, they had to act against Calvin Ridley, but this gives them a way to let people know or at least create the impression that they care and they're going to take it seriously. And they got no choice but to take action because it fell into their laps. But that's where the curtain either does or doesn't get peeled back. And they are or they aren't aggressive about all of the other ways that guys can bet. And it's not easy to spot. And guys can do things that can disseminate inside information to others. And it's not black and white. It's not crystal clear. It's not easily traceable to someone's phone. That's where the challenge is going to be. And, you know, what it's going to take is some major scandal. There's going to be some yeah, major scandal, yeah. and then that's when Congress is going to swoop in. The SEC didn't even come around until five years after the stock market crash in 1929. It's going to take something big like that. And maybe it's the Stephen Ross thing. Maybe if the yeah. NFL substantiates it and announces, which I don't know why they have an incentive to do it, but they announced that he did that, that he really did offer $100,000 per loss to Brian Flores. Maybe that's the thing that gets Congress's attention. But it's going to take something big like that that turns the integrity of the wagering on the game on its head. This won't do it. And it's good the NFL is taking action. But it's, it's the very tiny little bitty tip of a much bigger iceberg that's looming for the NFL. Yeah, listen, I, I agree with you. And there have been enough ownership issue things out there to make people I know will be looking at this Calvin Ridley situation and screaming again, talking about Stephen Ross, talking about Jerry Jones and the Cowboys and the Warriors and talking about Snyder and Washington and, and, and that cesspool of what's been going on there and what's been done about that. It's still all lingering out there. Yet, man, Calvin Ridley, you got a year, baby. You know, thanks for admitting it. We appreciate you coming forward. Boom, that's a year. And again, I get it because he broke the rule, but I can also see how people are going to say, wait a minute, man, you got some owners that are accused of or doing some really bad things, and we haven't seen a hammer come down just yet. So, you know, how about we make sure we, we keep that going, you know, and not just hammer the players? Though in this case, again, I'll say, Punishment is required for Calvin Ridley. Uh, and again, I, I wait to see if it does get pulled back a little bit, if the appeal does work and it does get pulled back a little bit. But, you know, un until they start looking a little deeper and a little stronger, not letting teams investigate themselves and these freaking owners, you know, oh, we'll take care of it. <laughs> well, harumph, harumph. You know, we'll meet her on our own punishment. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. It's just idiotic. Well, the commissioner isn't hired and retained and compensated by the players. That's exactly right. By anyone. It's, he's got an audience of 32. 
They're the ones who decide whether or not he has the job, how much he gets paid to keep it, and how long he stays in that job. And there's an entire I'm – not, I'm not trying to turn this into everybody go by Playmaker's Day, but what, why should I stop now? I've been doing it for six months. But there's an entire section of the book about owner scandals and things the NFL has not done, whether it's Jimmy Haslam and the situation with the pilot flying J rebate prosecution, even though he was never indicted. You could argue there's enough there that maybe there should have been some action taken against him when Jim Irsay was suspended, but not really suspended because he still got to make all of his money. Player gets suspended for six weeks. He loses every penny he right. would have made. Jim Irsay gets suspended for six weeks. All that means is he can't go to the game. He still right. gets six weeks of the tens of millions of dollars that are flowing into his coffers. So there's always a double standard there. And, Mike, this, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a great point that we've kind of stumbled into, and I didn't plan to focus on it, but I'm glad we got there. This is all happening at a time when the league is actively keeping the Washington Commanders situation brushed under the rug and deliberately avoiding doing anything to put any public light on what happened in the cheerleaders locker room for the Cowboys in 2015. And they're going to swoop right in and hammer Calvin Ridley for a year against that same backdrop. That in and of itself is wrong. And hopefully more people realize it and will say something about it. Yeah, I, listen, I, I agree with you there. And again, what Roger Goodell can do, I, I don't know the powers. If it's, they have to, it has to be these independent investigations, which they either do or don't do, or let the, letting the teams investigate is a joke. I mean, if, unless you want to have do that, but also have an independent, you know, investigation as well. I mean, it gets ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I mean. And that's what we've been talking about. There are things out there right now that can be looked at. And I'm glad you keep bringing up your book. And if there's enough pictures in the book, could you please send it to me? Then I'll, then I'll take <laughs> a look at it. There are none, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so let, let's add a few more points on this before we wrap it up. The Falcons acknowledge they first became aware of the situation on February 9th. They've cooperated fully with the investigation since receiving notice, and they support the league's findings and actions. We're moving forward in the 2022 season with the decision that was made. And again, Ridley has appeal rights. Even though he's admitted it, he can still say one year is too much. Right. I freely admitted it. I acknowledge it. I And there needs to be some concession i think now now you would say well what else is what's his choice what else can he do he could have tried to come up with some cockamamie excuse that you know somebody else grabbed his phone and did it he didn't do any of that he admitted to it he owned up to it and that should count for something especially when we consider that no inside information was involved he wasn't with the team at the time i'm not saying it makes it right i'm just saying does it really make it a one-year thing and that'll all be uh, hammered out in time. Ridley did acknowledge on Twitter that he bet $1,500 in all. He doesn't have a gambling problem. Now, some would say $1,500 in wagers is enough to be a gambling problem, but when you're due to make $11 million this year, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of a drop in the bucket. Yeah, $1,500. bucks. come on. That, that's, that's nothing to a guy to make $11 million. $11, 11 million. I mean, yeah, so, I, I, and I'm not going to say, I have no, if he has a problem, he, he did it, if this is the one time he did it, it's hard to think he has a problem. I mean, the problem he has is knowing full well that this was wrong, probably not knowing, A, not thinking he's going to get caught, and B, not knowing that it's going to be, a, that it's going to get hammered with a year suspension, uh, if that sticks. Um, so, really, if they did that investigation, because that's the biggest thing you worry about is, A, is a couple things. Certainly, insider information, number one, or a player getting too deep into gambling where they start losing money, and then they're going to start owing favors to somebody and start doing things about it on the field. Those are obviously 
you know, things that, that, that can corrupt the game. And that's something the NFL or no sport, no sport would want. But if you've already proven or at least said through our investigation, there was no real insider information, then you got to believe there's got to be degrees to a punishment. And maybe to the NFL, their lightest punishment might be a year. And if there was insider information, if they like subpoenaed phone records and or if he gave up phone records and he was calling other teams, maybe it would be longer than that. I don't know. I don't know. That, that's why I'm interested now in to see where this ends up after he appeals. You know, Mike, the point you make, and it's a great one, the team should not be allowed to investigate themselves on issues of misconduct. And that point came up four weeks ago when the commissioner said, no, we're not going to let Daniel Snyder investigate the new allegations against Daniel Snyder. But then a week later, well, okay, the Cowboys investigated the allegations against them. We're fine with that. It's broader when it applies to the league in a situation like this. When you have a gambling scandal that makes the whole league look bad, that threatens the league with action by Congress or a prosecution, that's when you have to question whether or not the league is equipped to engage in an investigation that will be against its best interests, that could lead to disclosures that will cause major problems for the league. So for the same reasons you can't trust a team to investigate itself, you can't trust a league to investigate itself when the league knows the potential consequences of discovering and then announcing to the world a major gambling scandal. Not one guy who's away from his team and placing bets on his phone in Florida when his team's otherwise moved on without him. Something that really would raise issues of integrity of the game, games being fixed, information being sold or otherwise corrupted. Will the NFL, this is what I'm going to keep coming back to, when the NFL is confronted with evidence to suggest something like that's happening, will it engage in a full, complete, and objective investigation or... Will the investigation be shaded? Will it be, will it be directed in a certain way? Will it be aimed at not ending up in a major problem for the NFL? That, that's for, and that's why I'm saying it's going to take a third party to regulate the NFL because well, only a third party can properly investigate a scandal like that. That, that, that's what I agree. And that's why I think it should be for, for big situations. And, and I guess then it would be up to someone to define big, big enough to have an independent investigation. And then if you have an independent investigation, should that become public? So then everybody can see what was going on. And, and I, 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 I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be one. Sometimes I try and act like one, but I don't know. The, I don't know because if there's a, pri a private companies, public companies, if you can, if you can make things public like that, I don't know. But step one, and I agree with you, and I think a lot of people would agree that they should be independent investigators, uh, investigations in some of these situations. The bottom line is this. The people who work at the league office are stewards of the game. But sometimes things can happen that can cause people yeah. to put their own interests above the interests of the game. And they want to protect themselves. They don't want to get themselves in scrutiny. They don't want to be asked any tough questions about what they did or didn't do or how they may have been asleep at the switch when these things were happening. So they shade the process away from anything that would get them in trouble. And we try to hold those folks accountable by asking tough questions and making harsh when necessary critiques of the way things are handled. And we'll be here. We'll be here to do it if and when it happens. Hopefully it won't. Hopefully everybody follows the rules. But as we learned today, that doesn't happen all the time. We're going to follow Aaron Rodgers if he is indeed leaving Green Bay. What's the latest, and when can we expect him to finally let us know what he's going to do in 2022? We'll discuss that next here on PFTPM. 
just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. We have to improve our football team. There's two major ways that you, you do it. You do it through free agency and you do it through the draft. I enjoy working with Kevin this time of year because we, we just, you know, we speak plain English. Right now, you know, all options are on the table, uh, but those decisions are interrelated based on our global needs. But during that game, you were openly flirting with Mike Tomlin from the field. What was that about? And did you guys get to talk after the game? I'm a big Mike Tomlin fan. I have been for a long time. I like the way that he speaks about his team. I like the way that he goes about his business. It's more important what I do than what I say. Um, the attitude and the energy that I bring to these work days. You know, I like his confidence. I, you know, I've heard nothing but good things from guys that have played there. I like Mike Tomlin. During the game, Rodgers tried to quick snap you guys and you called a timeout. Looked like you guys kind of shared a look after that. Um, you know, it's chess, not checkers. Man, you just, you know, if you're a competitor, you love being in that environment. Oh, nice little mashup there of Aaron Rodgers and Mike Tomlin, and they made googly eyes at each other when they played this season. And to me, I was on Pittsburgh radio earlier, Mike, and I said, the Steelers are basically the Packers of the AFC. And if Aaron Rodgers is going to leave the Packers, if he really is going to do it, and I'm not sure he's going to, I think he's, he's that guy who's on the edge of the high dive. I remember being the kid who was on the edge of the high dive, and are you going to, are you going to do it? You've been talking about doing it. You've been saying you're going to do it. You're out there on the edge of the high dive. Are you going to jump or are you going to go back down the ladder in shame? I feel like that's where Aaron Rodgers ah. is right now. After all this time, is he finally going to jump? He's on the edge of the high dive board. Is he going to do it? So, uh, I, you know, and look, he's made it clear he's going to make an answer and let us know what it is by now. I thought we'd know by now. We're... we're Nine days away from the start of free agency, seven days away from the unofficial start of free agency. The tampering's already happened. Yeah. Everybody out there is looking for a quarterback is waiting to see what he's going to do. He's holding everything up right now. And so, uh, you know, who knows? I, I Look, I, I, I've detailed all this at PFT. I'm not going to belabor the point again. But when the news came out Friday night that he's truly torn, and I'm like, truly torn between, between what? We don't know what other teams he's actually considering. It became – apparent to me through people who contacted me in response to that post and said, here's the deals that are kind of in place. I mean, it's all been worked out behind the scenes without the Packers being involved. There's a menu that Aaron Rodgers is going to choose from, and it's likely going to be a team from the AFC if it's not the Packers. And the teams I've heard are the Broncos, Steelers, and Titans, or the Packers, and he's just got to make a choice at this point. It's not Green Bay or not Green Bay. It's Green Bay or some other team. Okay, so I, I got a question to ask you, but I'd also be interested to know what this offer was to Aaron Rodgers. That's supposed to be some incredible offer, which they would need anyway if they were going to keep him. He has, what, a $46 million cap hit, only Matt Ryan, I think at 48, has more. We know nobody's playing on that type of, of a cap hit. So, and we hear the Denver Broncos, you know, are, are the ones most interested, and we talked about other teams What's the what's the what's the assets for this? What what can Denver? I mean, they got a what a second and a third for Von Miller. It's not like they have five first rounders. So what 
What's the capital going back to Green Bay for Green Bay to say, yeah, this makes a hell of a lot of sense for us to trade Aaron Rodgers? This is where it gets a little bit delicate because last year when he decided to keep playing, I remember when we saw the terms of his revised contract, my first reaction was, that's all he got? He had this credible threat of retirement. He decides to keep playing, and all he gets is a reduction in his contract by one year. He's not even going to be a free agent in 2022. They're going to hold his rights. And someone explained to me, look, the idea is they didn't want to get a compensatory draft pick in 2023. They wanted to be able to trade him for something in 22. And I don't think it's going to be three first-round picks plus type of a thing. I think the Packers are going to be reasonable in their expectations. And I'm of the understanding, based on things I've been told, that that through Rodgers' agent, these deals have all been worked out. That if he goes here, there's a deal. If he goes there, there's a deal. If he goes there, there's a deal. And it's not some ungodly amount because Rodgers isn't going to want to tie the hands of his next team and have them give up a crap load of assets that makes it harder for him to be competitive right away. I mean, he probably thinks he's earned the ability to walk away unfettered with not much trade compensation at all going to the Packers. So I think at the end of the day, it's probably not going to be something astronomical. If they are truly honest about this this kind of wink nod that they did last year, that after we get through 2021, if you still want to leave, we'll facilitate your desire to move on, uh, presumably without a huge ransom tying to whatever uh, someone who may be interested gives up to get you. I, I personally don't think he's going anywhere. And I think this new deal what are they, about 29 mil over the cap? This new deal will definitely knock his cap number down, so that'll give some relief, but they still have more to go. I know Bakhtiari and others have got their deals restructured. Um, so I, I still had said, I mean, this is it's got to be about Super Bowls, right, Mike? I mean, okay, does he not feel the love like he did in Green Bay? But he also knows how quarterbacks are, are thought of, and I know he's this, you know, cerebral guy and thinker and, I don't care. He's a quarterback who knows legacy is tied to Super Bowl wins. Okay, let's let's get down to it. I don't want to hear the, you know, the philosophical stuff or or side of this. He understands that and knows that they has one Super Bowl in the time he's been there. I mean, they had they had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, two walk in Hall of Fame guys. And he's got, you know, got a Super Bowl for it. So to me, I still think he stays there. I think that's still his best shot to win a Super Bowl. I do not think it is win the De- with the Denver Broncos, even though, you know, I know we'll talk about it. Are they going to get Von Miller back? But I don't think Denver all of a sudden gets vaulted to the top spot in the AFC if Aaron Rodgers goes there. They're certainly a hell of a lot better of a team, no doubt about it, and could be right in the mix. But do we think if Aaron Rodgers goes, let's get back to gambling, goes to the Denver Broncos, where are they from the odds makers? Where are they from the, the, the big buildings in Vegas? All of a sudden, are they the favorites in the AFC? Are they the fourth best, the fifth best, the third best? I wonder where they would be put. Hey, Mike, I look at it very simply. If Aaron Rodgers is thinking about adding to his legacy, and let's say he steps back and he's disconnected from all teams and he's looking at his potential destinations, the Packers are the most attractive. They're going to own that division again. The Bears have a new coach and a new GM. The Vikings have a new coach and a new GM. The Lions are in year two of their latest reboot. They're going to own the NFC North. They're going to potentially be the number one seed easily in 2022. 
That's your best play, not the AFC. You don't want to go to Denver and deal with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. Now I know Aaron Rodgers is wired to embrace the competition, but come on, if you're looking for the best place where the deck is going to be stacked in your favor, you're going to Green Bay. You're not going to Pittsburgh and dealing with the Bengals and the Ravens and the Browns. You're not going to Miami if the Dolphins are on the radar screen. You've got to deal with the Bills and the Patriots. If you're looking for the easiest path back to the Super Bowl, it's the place where you've always been. It's the place where you're comfortable, where you know the players, where you know the head coach, where you go through the minimal amount of disruption and change in your life and that's probably why he's torn he has set this up where he can if he wants walk away and now Aaron are you going to do it are you going to walk away you've gone through all this trouble to put yourself in a position like I said he's climbed the ladder he's walked out to the edge of the board he's bouncing the board he's ready to jump he's done all of that stuff yeah, you're better off going back down the ladder and trying Listen, to get a Super Bowl. So and, 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 I, I, I think he should stay. I, I hope for our purposes he goes, but I think for his purposes he should stay. And how about the guy who kind of set the trend of leaving? Uh, two, in fact. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay, they win the Super Bowl. Matt Stafford goes to L.A., they win the Super Bowl. What if you go somewhere and you don't win the Super Bowl and two quarterbacks just did it in two previous years? And you are obviously one of the great quarterbacks who is going to walk into the Hall of Fame. But what does that do? You know, what, what does that do to, for you when the last two years quarterbacks left and won? Obviously, one of the, you know, the GOAT in Brady, but then Stafford does it as well. So I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think he leaves. I think his best shot, they'll have a great record in, in the North. They could have another great record to be a, be a number one seed. We know that hasn't worked the best for them as of late, but it's still, I think, the best shot for him. Yeah, they could be looking at number one seed for three straight years and not yeah. getting to the Super Bowl for yeah. three straight years. And, and you mentioned Brady. I still think he's going to end up with the 49ers when this is all said me and too. done. I know that topic's not on the rundown. You're, you're on board with me with the 49ers? Yep, I, I found somebody yep. finally? Yes. Good. I'll go with you Good. on this one, Mike. Yeah. God help me. That should, that should screw me on Twitter now. I just went with you on something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it's, it's, it's right there. It's, yeah. it's, it's just right there. And I think it's just a matter of time before he makes his power play subtly behind the scenes to get to San Francisco, which raises the stakes for Rodgers if he changes teams because Brady changes teams again. And here he is with a potential Super Bowl winner. And Rodgers jumps over into this morass of the AFC where he's going to have a hard time standing out the way that he does with the Packers. I I hope he stays. If if Brady's with the 49ers, I definitely want Rodgers with the Packers because I want those two to meet in the playoffs at some point, divisional round or championship. All right, Cowboys want to get back to the playoffs and actually win a game this year. I was told earlier today that the word was the Cowboys are restructuring Dak Prescott's contract. I've confirmed that that's happening. He's got a big salary this year, $20 million, and it's very simple. It's no new money. It's no new years. You just take that $20 million, you reduce it dramatically, and it kicks cap dollars into future years. And with the cap going up and up and up, and it's going to be $208 million this year. The league's announced that today. Every year that you kick those future dollars into, those dollars mean less if the cap keeps going up. A million dollars in cap charge now at 208, it's going to mean less if it's 230 next year. And it's going to keep going up. We're past the pandemic. The TV money's kicking in. The gambling money's going to kick in. Those dollars are going to keep going up and up and up. So we're going to see more and more teams kick the can forward. And that's what the Cowboys are doing as they try to hold their roster together. They got some guys they want to re-sign. And to do that, they got to maximize their cap number. And it's not just getting rid of Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence. It's taking the contracts of the guys you have and making them more acceptable from a cap standpoint for this year.
Oh, and that's what it's about. It's about this year. And, and, and again, I, I still think we need to let everybody know every now and then restructuring is different than a pay cut. They're, just as you said, they're getting all their money, but they're getting a lot of it up front now, which is nice. Hey, say, hey, will you help the team out this year? Wait, okay, here's a check for $20 million. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'll help out. Now, what it does to these teams down the road with dead money, you know, that may eventually catch up with you, but it's all about helping for the current year. And this is a situation like we saw in Green Bay with Bakhtiari and others, as I said, that are restructuring their deals. Players will do it any day of the week. They get handed a big check for it, but ask them to take a pay cut, and you'll probably get a little different answer from somebody. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, these are very simple things, and a lot of the contracts have clauses in there that give the team the power to do it whenever they want to do it. You convert that salary, most of the salary, into a signing bonus that gets paid out right now. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal if you can get it. You're getting your money now. And not that Dak Prescott needs to worry about it because his contract is pretty much fully guaranteed through the end. Vaughn Miller, you mentioned him earlier when we were talking about the Broncos. He hinted at a possible return to the Broncos or the Rams? I'm confused. I thought it was the Rams, but I guess it's the Broncos. I can't keep my players straight with everything that's going on. Is he hinted about a return to the Broncos? Let's see the tweet. There's the tweet. I kind of want that old thing back. 5280. Oh, that's the elevation. Mile high club. Vaughn Miller, he wants to go back to Denver. Hey, and you know what? He's not stupid. If they're getting Aaron Rodgers, hell yeah, I'm going back to Denver. We finally got a quarterback. I suffered through a bunch of frogs they were kissing in the hopes they'd turn into princes. Now they got the king. Yes, sign me up for the Broncos again. Wow, did you go? You went mile high club. You didn't just go mile high because that's what the, you know that number in feet I don't is know what mile that high. Is. I've never heard you of go. That. I've never heard <laughs> that. Somebody will let you know that, Mike. Don't worry. Somebody will <laughs> let you know. You know, it's also that. Listen, it's the only team that guy's ever known. So I, I think that's where he wants to end up. Listen, it worked beautifully for him. He. You know, it's it's not like he said, hey, guys, trade me to the Rams. You know, that was something Denver wanted to do. They got, to, like I said, some picks back for it. And we know the Rams were going all in. And Von Miller turned out to be a wonderful piece of that puzzle. Helped immensely, got himself that Super Bowl ring. So he's probably like, you know, I'm good. I want to go back, you know, to where I've been my entire career. That's all I've known. I love it there. And... Boy, if we could potentially, you know, get an Aaron Rodgers, you know, maybe we can get get one more, you know, crack it ringing that bell. Because you're right. He has sat through quarterback after quarterback after quarterback and just got to be shaking his head year after year. Like, can we ever get that position right? It really would be the ultimate boss move for Von Miller winning a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP with the Broncos when the well finally dries up, jumping to the Rams, winning a Super Bowl there, and then coming back to the Broncos and winning another Super Bowl (laughs) with the Broncos. That would be awesome, and he's smart enough to know which way the wind's blowing. They're going to get a good quarterback one way or the other, and I think they may pivot to a Russell Wilson if they don't get an Aaron Rodgers, but I think they're determined. George Payton, the GM of the team, told me last week at the Combine, on a scale of 1 to 10, I said, what's the urgency of getting a quarterback? He said, it's 10. It's 10. And uh, we know it's 10 because their options are Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, all due respect. Let's go ahead and take a break. The deadline for applying the franchise tag is fast approaching. We've heard about some. How many more will have it applied between now and 4 o'clock Eastern tomorrow? We'll discuss that next. For some reason, the NFL still insists on having a two-week window for application of the <laughs> franchise tag. As, as we've said time and again, I know I've said it. All you need is one day. You don't need two yeah. weeks. Just one yeah. day. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the only day that matters. And there have been some announcements of tags that will be applied. Bengals on safety, Jesse Bates. 
Browns on tight end, David Njoku, a guy who seemed like he was completely out of favor. Then yep. they've got Austin Hooper, too. So I don't know what that means. Are they going to be paying two tight ends a lot of money? We'll find out what, what uh, that ultimately uh, translates to for the Browns. But, you know, Mike, they, some of these guys, and we haven't heard specifically yet, but some of them are no-brainers. Devontae Adams, yep. undoubtedly the Packers are going to apply the tag to him. They have to. Even if they trade him, you have to tag him. You can't let the Agreed. guy walk away. Agree. Yeah, you, you have to do that. So he, he's a guy. And, and wasn't it last year? I think there were 10. And, I mean, we're talking about yes. just a few now. Maybe Orlando Brown with, with the Chiefs. And you mentioned Njoku. And you mentioned Bates, who, by the way, I did a few of the Bengal games for Westwood. I love Jesse Bates. The guy came in and started his first 51 games. Always been out there. He's a hell of a player. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, is Godwin, is he a guy that's going to get tagged? So, But it seems like you're going to end up with less than last year. And it's so amazing, Mike. When that franchise tag came out, I will never forget that tag came out and players wanted to be tagged. Oh, my God. I want the average of the top five at my position in the league. I can't wait to get that. I want to be tagged. And then it didn't take long for them to say, you know what? I don't want to be tagged anymore, man. This is costing me money. I got one year, and if I get hurt, I could lose out on that long-term deal with that big signing bonus. It is amazing how that thing has flipped over the years to where guys will openly tell the team, do not franchise tag me. I am not. I don't want to be tagged, and that I will make it hell for you guys, which, again, there's not a ton of leverage at the end of the day. If you get tagged, your choices are, you know, sign the one-year tag or don't play and don't make anything. See, uh... Uh, well, oh, man, why am I drawing a blank on Le'Veon Pittsburgh? Bell. Le'Veon Bell, thank you. You know, and sometimes it doesn't work out too well, and that was one of them. Or, or you can play under the tag for two years and then become a free agent in year three. It works better Boom. for a quarterback yes, than it does for, for a running back or a cornerback. Now, in the same year, Kirk Cousins and Trumaine Johnson did that. They hit the market in lieu of being tagged a third time because the way that the CBA is written, it's virtually impossible to tag yeah. a guy a third time. So you, you, you fight your way to the open market. And, and I, I'm always a – a big proponent in players taking full advantage of the leverage they have under the CBA once they're tagged. The team starts this fight by preventing the player from getting right. the generational wealth that he would get on the open market. So if the player chooses to hold out of training camp, if the player chooses to hold out of the preseason and waits until right before the start of the regular season to sign his franchise tender and, and fans are like, oh, he's not ready to play, he's not really committed, hey, he's got every right to do that. He's got every right to do that. Because the league started this. The league is the one that put, or the team rather, that, that took the first step down that path. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate when it happens. You're right. At first we're like, hey, franchise player. All right. Yeah. No, wait, I'm getting screwed here financially. And that's, that's the reality that fans need to keep in mind. It's not good for the players ever to be franchise tagged. And, and let me quickly say, this is all relative, people, as though you are throwing stuff at your TV right now when a guy gets tagged and in one year can make $20 million. A lot of people think that's generational wealth, which it is. This is all in the context of what they could be getting as opposed to what they're getting for that year. So I just feel every now and then we got to say that. I'm not feeling bad for the player who gets tagged and has to play on a one-year franchise tag because it's a hell of a lot of money, but the market says they could get a lot more if they were on it. Yeah, but, but let's also remember that these, these discussions are the direct result of chess moves being made by people who have super yacht generational money, who yes. <laughs> are among the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, and every penny they save by avoiding making that major long-term commitment to a player 
is money that gets poured into their super yacht maintenance budget, which is considerable. So that's the other side of it, too. And I'm, I'm a big believer. Look, the salary cap keeps going up. That's money that's available right. for the players. And I'm in favor of the players getting everything they can, Mike, because they have no equity in the teams and they have one shot to play in the NFL. And for most of these guys, you've got one opportunity to get paid yeah. a ton of money. And, and the team takes that opportunity away from you or at least delays it by a year and you carry the injury risk that by next year you're going to be good to go. And if you are, they'll tag you again. You got to hope you can get through two more years to finally get that payday that you uh, that you've earned. That that's why I'm always sensitive to that because these players are the ones taking the physical risk and they're the ones who have earned the money. No, I agree with you. And you're in a great position if you get tagged twice. It, quite honestly, it's the it's the other ninety. You know, they're the foot soldiers of the league who the average is three years of, and they make minimum for three years and then are gone. You know, again, it's a, it's a good amount of money, but the the average lifespan is not long of playing in the NFL. So I'm with you. A player, get all you can while you're playing because when it's over, it is over. So try and empty the tank as best you can and get as much money as you can. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we'll wrap up the show by closing the books on the scouting combine. We'll be back with more PFPPM right after this. Who's a guy that you can't wait to take on at the next level? Maybe. I guess I could say, like, I got, like, Tom Brady, but he retired. Yeah. You know, but other than that. Maybe. He no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Right in front of me, you're from Austria. How in the world did you discover football? Yes, sir. My dad moved to, like, the suburbs of Vienna, um, and then some guys down the street were just playing catch with the football. Um, and I was, like, around 13 at that point, and I, you know, ended up joining him, and that's how I ended up playing, playing football. Just a small slice of some of the things that we learned last week talking to the prospects, coaches, and general managers at the Scouting Combine. So let's wrap up this Monday edition of PFTM, uh, PM, Mike Golick, with uh, big takeaways from the Combine 2022. Well, Give me one that jumps out for you. I, I mean, to, to, to me, it's about guys who, if the stars, the, the top picks who we know are going to be the top picks didn't go, I wouldn't care. If they don't work out, I don't care that Evan Neal didn't work. I don't care. He's still going to be the top offensive lineman drafted, even though Ikiakuanu uh, had, had a great uh, you know, uh, combine. I, I still think Evan Neal is going to be the guy. For me, it's, it's guys that maybe aren't as well known and they jump out statistically there, but that doesn't mean their stock rises to me, Mike. Let me, let me make that to just because you ran a fast 40 or jumped high in my book, it would not make me go, okay, I'm moving him up. What it would make me do is say, huh, I'm going to go back and look at more film of this guy because that's how you tell a guy's playing, how he plays football. Look at a guy like uh, Nick Benito from Oklahoma. Not not a well-known guy, right? But he really played, did well at the Combine to where I would go, okay, I didn't know a lot about him. Now I'm going to go back and watch some more about him or what I knew about him. Boy, he jumped off the page at me here, so I'm going to now go watch more film. I'm going to base my draft pick on film, not on how high you jump. That made me make me go back and look at you. Uh, but but that's a guy that I think could benefit like uh, from that. Other than that, man, all these top guys, Mike, that ran, they all ran well. They all looked good. And to, to hear, oh, he made Monday today, it's like, man, come on. If you go back and look at film and the film now matches some of the things you're seeing at the Combine, then okay, I get it. I understand that then. 
the old Mike Mamula Vernon Golston problem yeah. where yeah. guy shows up and has a great workout, but you still have to rely upon what the guy did or didn't put on tape. Jordan Davis, though, really impressed me. The way that guy moves at 341 pounds. And, look, does it translate to playing football? Not really. But if he has a crack that he can squirt through and he's chasing a quarterback around in the backfield, when you move like this guy moved, you got a chance to track some people down and, and cause some problems. And when you're that big and you can move that nimbly, you are going to be a problem in the NFL. Hey, big takeaway from me too, Mike, and I'm encouraged that I've seen this from multiple reporters. Peter King had it in today's Football Morning in America. There's been such a buzz that the Combine's leaving Indianapolis and heading for Dallas or L.A. or Las Vegas or wherever. It needs to stay in Indy. And it feels like it's at least going to stick around for another year, which is good news because it's more convenient for everybody in Indianapolis. And they're going to have, as Peter points out, more and more coaches just won't go if it's in some place like Dallas or L.A. Didn't we think the draft was great in New York, Mike? And now we barnstorm the draft and we love it. Get ready for the combine to move. And you know what? As long as the players are showing up, the coaches are going to go as well. That's just how that's just how it's going to work. They, that's they, what I thought. Me, that's what I thought too. But now they're saying it's going to have another year in India. I have a feeling it's going to have another year in India and another year in India and another year in India for some years to come. Well, maybe it will because listen, it's great. Who doesn't like to go to St. Elmo's? You know, all the, all the time out there. It is convenient. But I think they're going to barnstorm it just like they did the draft, and I think the combine will start to move around as well. Unpopular take that we don't have time to argue about. I think St. Elmo's is overrated. Oh, no. Goodbye. I can't talk to you anymore. I don't want your book anymore. No. Oh, don't tell me you you didn't say that. I can make you a better steak on my grill than you're going to get at St. Elmo's. I guarantee you that. I guarantee it. In fact, I may go make one right now. It's kind of nice out today. I'm fired up. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who you are anymore. I don't even. I don't even you know if I can come I back was. on this show. That's true. I didn't, <laughs> and now I don't want to know any more about you. Oh. Thanks no. for joining us on that happy note. Everyone, enjoy your dinner. Go to St. Elmo's if you live in Indy. See you tomorrow. Have a great <laughs> evening. <laughs> Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.